your two on. Sorry. There was a pause. I was like, oh, is it my time? <laughs> Hello, everyone. That's the intro to the episode. I don't know why you're... We'll keep going. Just keep... Howdy, folks. Hi, you're listening to The Classroom in U92. Um... What's up, guys? We are talking Order of the Phoenix today. Um, if you can't uh, tell, Brett and I are both... A little spicy. Yeah, a little swamped in classes. Uh, a little little brain missing. <laughs> so this is going to be a fun episode. Um, discussion boards will do that to you faster than anything else in the world. This is like our own little discussion board. If discussion boards didn't suck... Um, <laughs> Anyhow, yeah, this is the this is the biggest book yet. We don't got time for those tangents. We still will do them, but we'll get right. stressed about it. Um, I feel like, and like like Brett said, this is the largest book in the series. I feel like, unlike Goblet of Fire, though, a lot happens. Yes, like Goblet of Fire, a lot of it could be summed up, summer summarized. Goblet of Fire was very like cinematic, mm-hmm. uh, where like like the first two trials didn't have much like information to them other than. It's dragons. That's neat. Isn't that fun? This one is like, all right, get your like pad and pencil out for this. One. Yeah, like, you got to start lot. connecting. Yeah. Um, but it's also because of that, it's a little bit harder to summarize. So we're... yeah. So I don't. I think we'll just we'll just kind of go with it. Yeah. Um, so we'll go ahead and kick off with that first chapter, which yes. is Dudley Demented. Um, we see we are dropped into Harry Potter's No Good Summer, but this time with a flavor of PTSD behind it. Of course. Uh, we learn that Harry has been having nightmares about the fact that Cedric got dead. And while kind of roaming around um, the neighborhood, he runs into Dudley, who then bullies him with his, like, really mean friends about how Harry is having these nightmares about Cedric. Um, and then, of course, Dementors roll in, attempt to kill them. And, well, Harry performs magic outside of school. So... That leads into the pecking of vowels. The peck of a, of vowels, yeah. Um, so he uses the magic, uh, and then uh, I think Mrs. Fig, I believe her name is, uh, she was uh, born to magical parents, uh, but she doesn't have anything herself. Uh, that's called a squib. She was, uh, she sort of is like, hey, 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 don't do that, don't do that. So then she explains, um, uh, she goes to, and she's like, okay, but I understand why you had to do it. There were dementors there. Uh, so she sort of like goes back to report to Dumbledore about it uh, to try to suss things out uh, and sort them out. But uh, so then Harry and Dudley go back uh, to the to the Vernons uh, and uh, is like trying to explain what happens. Uh, I was like, hey, listen, this ain't me. These are Dementors. He got his soul sucked out, and it's not. I will say, not going great. Um, but then an owl uh, lives like with a. Bleh. An owl arrives with like a letter from the ministry. It's like, "Hey, you are you're basically expelled, but you got to come to this this hearing real quick." And then Sirius uh, shows up. Uh, Sirius also sends a letter. And it's like, "Hey, uh, get ready. You're you should like come back real quick." Right, and that leads us into the advance guard, um, which we see that that Harry has been locked away. Um, he doesn't want to associate with the Dursleys. The Dursleys don't want to associate with him. Uh, we see Harry getting more and more angry with his friends because he's not heard from them. And then, of course, the order that we'll learn about in a little bit steps in, uh, led by like Professor Moody, the actual Mad-Eye Moody, um, <laughs> Professor Lupin, um, and this lovely witch Tonks, as well as a couple others. Um, they all kind of come in, whisk Harry away, 
on brooms to uh, to this magical little little spot, uh, which leads us into number twelve, Grimald Place. Um. So they get a. Uh, so Harry gets to uh, number twelve, which is Sirius' house uh, that he has there, and he's sort of reunited with everybody and like with the friends. But he's still kind of annoyed uh, because it was like, hey, you guys kept me in the dark the entire summer. I didn't get like I didn't hear hide nor hair of you guys. Uh, but they they explain it's like Dumbledore made us promise to like not say anything about uh, about this to you. He wanted to keep you completely out of it. Uh, and then he sort of explains the Order of the Phoenix. It's a, the society to sort of like stop Dumbledore that has come back because they know he's back. Um, and then they've been uh, they've been basically like following the sort of Death Eaters and like keeping track of them. They've also, uh, the Daily Prophets sort of been, like, building a case against under, uh, under like, the Ministry's orders. Is like, you got to paint this guy as crazy because he is uh, harshing our vibe. To s- <laughs> it. Um, yeah! I mean, yeah, it's, they just want to, they, they're like, we, uh, Harry's talking about how Voldemort comes back and the Ministry doesn't want to admit that he's back. So they sort of just, uh, they're, like, trying to make a slander case against him. Say he's, like, he's losing it. He's right. To- which, and that kind of covers a lot into the chapter about the Order of the Phoenix. Um, but as well in the that chapter specifically, we see kind of the argument between uh, Sirius and Molly about, specifically about Harry. And they have this, Molly and Sirius really just go at it. Um, you know, where Molly, Molly's like, you know, he isn't, he isn't James Sirius and... And Sirius is like, well, he's not your kid, Molly. So, um, which is where we get all the explanation um, about the order, about what's happening. Um, we're kind of let in a little bit to the domestic life around 12 Grimold Place with the Weasleys and Sirius and with most of the order, including Remus Lupin. And then that kind of feeds into a lot of like growing anger between Molly and Sirius, as well as kind of the na- dynamic switching between her kids and her, uh, which leads us into the most noble and Oh, no, the noble and most ancient house of black. Um, so uh, it's it starts out with them. I be, I believe they're trying to clean and mm-hmm. like the uh, uh, the the house elf there is like not having any of it is like just not letting them do anything. And then it uh, Sirius like starts to show Harry like these old like tapestries and like uh, paintings on the walls. It just just sort of showing the the family tree, and we learn a little bit more about uh, Sirius' family. Uh, we learned that he's related to both Tonks uh, and uh, Lucius Malfoy, as well as being related to uh, Bellatrix Lestrange. Uh, and then it like talks a little bit more on that. And then later on, uh, Harry has like I, I believe he says like it's the it's the most fun that he had had all summer. Really, the mm-hmm. end, uh, the only fun when uh, uh, Fred and George are like talking about the opening their joke shop, which is is very fun. Like it's it's a it's a light heartening. <laughs> But then because of that, Harry kind of forgets. He's like, oh, shoot, I got a hearing to go to. So then he, he's he's getting ready to go to that. And then, of course, that leads into the Ministry of Magic, where we see Harry kind of exploring the Ministry of Magic through uh, with Mr. Weasley. Um, very limited, of course. Uh, we see that the entire order, not the entire order, but the three people that really matter to Harry are kind of sitting in the kitchen waiting for him when he leaves, which is Tonks, Sirius, and Lupin. Um, they're like, hey, listen, you'll be great. You got this. Sirius is like, be nice, just stick to the facts, you're, you're okay. And Lupin's like trying to reassure him, like, you know, the law's on your side, you'll be fine. Which kind of goes into, like I said, we see Mr. Weasley kind of showing Harry around the Ministry of Magic. Um, we get to meet a couple of the orders that we've already seen a couple of times, but now they're dynamic within the workplace. And that leads us right into the fact that 
they realize Harry's meeting has been changed, the time has been re- has been pushed up, and it's been moved locations to the basement hearing courtroom, mm-hmm. which leads us into the chapter of the hearing. Uh, so Harry gets to this new place, and he's like, oh, that's, I don't know what's up. And then he realizes that he saw this before in the trial of Lestrange uh, in the in the like sort of vision thing. Um and he's like, oh, that doesn't bode well for me. I'm getting tried in this big courtroom for, like, major wizarding criminals as just, like, a student that cast it outside. Uh, Harry tells his story, and while they're like, ooh, hey, good job on the, the full Patronus there, bud. They're like, we still don't believe you. Like, why would there be Dementors out? Like, it doesn't make sense. Uh, so uh, Dumbledore uh, calls uh, Miss Fig to the stand as a witness. Uh, and she was like, yeah, no, there were Dementors there. Uh, I, I trust that. And then Dumbledore gets on, and I don't know how, I don't know how Wizarding Court works exactly, but usually character evidence, which is the only thing that Dumbledore supports, isn't really admissible in court. <laughs> but he kind of gets up there and says, "This is Harry Potter, you know, the Harry mm-hmm. Potter." Also, uh, this is what you're doing wrong, Fudge. Yeah. Uh, not only that, but like I also I think it's important to note that like. He's on, like, a jury of... There's, like, 50 jurors against him, For this including, kid's expelment from yeah, school. Yeah, for this kid's expelment of school, not only Cornelius Fudge is there, which is already the incompetent man that he is, uh, but Dolores Umbridge is also there, which and I don't even... And we learn so yeah, much more about her. I don't think at the time we get a name. Maybe we do, but... Uh, uh, yeah, we get a name, but we don't get... We don't get who other. she is, but yeah. She just seems a little, a little sus. Yeah. Um, which leads us into, of course, um, the woes of Mrs. Weasley... Um, Harry tells everybody that he's been cleared. We see the fact that in the previous chapter, Percy's around, which has been a bit of a touch-button subject for the Weasleys, as Percy's being a little prat. We'll go into that a little bit later. But um, we see, um, of course, all the letters arrive for Hogwarts, um, and we learn that both Hermione and Ron, surprisingly, have been named prefects. Um, Harry's a little, little mad about this, uh, but he doesn't hold it against him. He kind of holds it against him, but gets over it. And then we see just kind of them hanging out. They have a big party. Miss Weasley has a big party for her on and Hermione. Um, and then we, of course, then see uh, Moody, you know, hands Harry the little photo that is the original order where both of his parents are present, um, as well as, you know, Lupin and Sirius and Wormtail. And ev- we learn a lot of the background of the Order of the Phoenix. But we also see Molly Weasley tackle the boggart that's been upstairs. And we learn that her greatest fear is these people that she loves and cares about dying. We see all seven of her children, even Percy, as well as Harry, Hermione, um, and a lot of Mrs. Weasley's friends inclu- and her husband, uh, that her fear is them being dead. Um, and and that leads them into going to school, which leads to Luna Lovegood. Um, so, but, like, the night before they go, Harry has, like, a, a little bit of a stress dream, sort of uh, harping on the things that, like, we had just learned. Um, but he wakes up a, a little bit fine. Uh, I wouldn't say fine. He, he wakes up kind of frazzled. Uh, but then they're they're getting ready they're getting ready to leave. Harry's got to be guarded. Um, his, I don't think his guard shows up, so Sirius does it and like sort of breaks his quote unquote like house arrest thing right. that he was under. Um, and as they're getting on the the train, that they uh, they're like told not to have like any contact with the order. Don't don't mention them. Don't talk about anything like that. Um, they're also um, they share a compartment because I, I believe the others are filled, but they share it with uh, Luna Lovegood which everyone's kind of harping on, and Harry's like, who is Luna? And it's 
it's weird because it's also like Hermione's giving a lot of like the crap on her, which mm-hmm. is once again it feels like a little bit out of character for her. Um, which we'll touch more on Luna later. I I know we will. <laughs> um, but they we also find out that Malfoy is uh, was selected as a, a Slytherin prefect. Um, and then as they sort of leave, I'm trying to think of if there's anything else uh, there. Uh, Luna sort of like Luna gets mad when. Um, Hermione sort of like craps on craps on her dad. She like snaps back, which is something we don't really see that much right. in the movies. Uh, and we also have like the uh, sort of scene of Harry, uh, Harry and Luna sort of talking about these horses that they've sort of petting and like Luna showing like, oh, there's a lot that like a lot of people like sort of disregard about the magical world that is still extremely important that nobody really thinks about. And we get the quote, "You're just as sane as I am." Yes. Um, which leads us into the Sorting Hats new song. Um, mainly in this chapter, we learn that Hagrid is not at the school right now, and we learn that Umbridge is now the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, which is a little bit of sus. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that's the biggest points. Um, we do see as they go up to the um, to their dorm, they see that, you know, Seamus's family, one of Harry's dormmates, didn't want him to come back to Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the whole Cedric thing and because they think Dumbledore and Harry are crazy that Voldemort's back. And kind of Harry and Seamus kind of have a row. Um, they, they butt heads back and forth, and Harry, they throw a lot of insults back and forth, and then Ron breaks it up as the good little prefect he is, uh, which leads us to Professor Umbridge. Um, so it starts off with everyone getting, uh, getting worried about the owls coming up. Uh, which is sort of sort of like they're, I, I don't know what to call it, like kind of ACT-esque exams. Yeah. They're, they're, they're fifth-year exams. Right. Um, uh, and then they uh, then we go into uh, Harry and Ron's class with Umbridge, uh, which is kind of just, uh, we learn that her teaching is like she's not talking about any of these actually important uh, sort of spells to defend themselves. And when, like, questioned about it, she goes, like, oh, you don't need to be casting any dangerous spells. Like, why would you want to do that Harry Potter and like so he he kind of he kind of gets mad and then uh like she they talk a little bit about like oh the, well the ministry doesn't want to want to be doing this and like gets a little bit more shade and it's sort of just uh Harry gets sent to see McGonagall uh and which is like just be like okay just d- d- don't worry about Umbridge sort right. of keep your head down just leave her leave her be um Next chapter, of course, leads us to the tension with Dolores Umbridge. Um, we see a lot of people kind of being sus about about Harry um, after he yelled at Umbridge, saying, you know, about going into detail about all of Cedric and all of what happened the previous school year. Um, and I think the biggest point here is when we get to the actual detention with Umbridge, um, we see that she is torturing Harry. Um, he, he has to write, I will not tell, I must not tell lies, um, with this very special quill, which etches it into the back of his hand. Um, and, yeah. And we also see that Hermione's been knitting hats for the, for the house elves. Um, but that leads into Percy and Padfoot. Um, all right. So, uh, Harry, like, starts to write a letter to Sirius, uh, just... T- trying to like codedly write there's like hey umbridge is here and she's a piece of crap um so he like he sends that out and like as he's as he's seeing this he sees that the 
guard that wasn't there that was supposed to be guarding him got sentenced to Azkaban, uh, which is kind of a red flag to him. Um, and then later, uh, later, like we sort of cut to, we cut to Quidditch practice real quick. It's not the most important thing, but like he's getting harassed and like Ron's getting harassed. Oh yeah, Ron's keeper now. That's yeah, so, so, uh, yeah, we hadn't touched <laughs> on that. Ron, Ron is the Ron is the keeper now. Um, and then they're also uh, later. Everyone's in the uh, the trio's in the study room, and Ron is the congratulated by Percy. Uh, and he's like, hey, congrats for being a prefect. Stay away from that Harry Potter guy. He seems kind of like a freak. Um, and then uh, uh, he, I, th- I believe Harry gets his letter back uh, now as well. And Sirius doesn't know anything about uh, where Hagrid's been because he's been missing. Uh, but he's most likely safe. Um, and then uh, Harry, Harry and Hermione like get mad when he's like, oh, don't worry. I can, I can go with you to Hogsmeade if you want. And they're like, hey, bud, that sounds like a bad idea. So right. then he, he like ducks out. Oh, well, yeah, because we see Sirius in the fire. Yes. Um, and then that leads into the Ho- Hogwarts High Inquisitor, which we learn Umbridge has just earned a whole bunch of power uh, from the Ministry because she is, in fact, just the Ministry yeah. meddling. She's also, um, I believe, called an Inquisitor, which is like <laughs> it's never a really great <laughs> turn to hold. There's not a positive like connotation to that. Um, but we see her start to kind of. She is judging each and every professor um um how they teach uh we see her i believe she, yeah she goes through all of them um she is absolutely mean to Pre- professor talani um we see professor mcgonagall just not putting up with her um and i think that's really all that happens in this in this chapter um so that leads us into the hogshead uh, so, uh, when they, uh, when they go to Hogsmeade, Harry, uh, and Hermione were kind of hatching this idea already that, like, people need to know Defense Against Dark Arts spells. If nobody's being taught, then they're not going to be able to defend themselves if something happens, which we know it does. Uh, so they, they meet up and ask a, a couple people, like, hey, we're going to start this club. You can't tell anyone about it. Uh, who's interested? Uh, I think, like, 20 or so people show up. Um, and Harry, like, tells them, is like, hey, we need this. And, like, telling them, and they're, like, they're not quite interested at first but then harry tells the story he's like i literally looked voldemort in the eyes so i i know he's back uh so then like uh they're like okay who's interested and everybody writes their name on the on their little like consent form that they're signing for harry Uh, and that is the start of the (laughs) educational decree number 24 um we just see harry kind of gets really happy at the fact that he is doing just enough to resist Umbridge. He's like, ha, 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 she doesn't know. Um, we see her then disband all gatherings of students because she's probably aware. Um, and then we see they're going to talk to Sirius again. And we see that somebody has been watching the flu network lines because Sirius panics and pulls out the flames just for Umbridge's hand to be coming through the fire trying to grab him. Um Earlier in the chapter, we do see the fact that McGonagall is like, "Hey, Harry, I'm letting you know they are monitor, they are monitor, monitoring, thank you, uh, the the lines of communication in and out of Hogwarts. Just be aware about the sus going on here." And he's like, "Aight." Um, and the next, of course, that leads us to Dumbledore's army. Uh, so uh, Harry, like, it's it starts when they're going to like this Quidditch match. Harry's head hurts, and he's like, oh, no, Voldemort's kind of, like, a little upset about something. Uh, we'll figure that out later. Um, and then later when they're in the, the uh, common room, Dobby shows up, 
and it's just like, oh, hey. It's like, hey, David, do you know anywhere that we can, like, practice this defense into the dark arts thing? So then he has told us, like, oh, yeah, there's this there's this room. It's called the room of requirement that shows up whenever but uh, whenever somebody needs it. Um, so they all, they all, like, show up and find the room of requirement. Uh, they get the gather the uh, organization there. The name originally pitched for it is the Defense Association, uh, which uh, by, I think, Cho Chang says that one. And then Jenny's like, Nah, let's call it Dumbledore's army to screw over the man, and then everyone everyone laughs and goes, "Yeah, sure, why not?" Okay, I, cool. saying, I think it's I think it is more of them being like, ha, 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 you know what the ministry's afraid of? Dumbledore having power, and then like a little, a little subtle, like, "Hey, Dumbledore, yeah, screw you." Um, also, we see a lot of like flirting from Cho in that yeah, chapter. Yeah, that's true. Like, there's just heavy flirting from Cho to Harry. Uh, but that leads us to the Lion and the Serpent, which is, of course, the first Quidditch match of the season. Um, of course, because that, yeah. Um, we see Ron is just so flustered. Uh, the Slytherins have made this god awful song. Um, and then at the end of the match, of course, Gryffindor beats Slytherin. Um, but we see Malfoy and Crab and Goyle. First off, Crab just absolutely pummels Harry with a bludger towards the end of the match, which is a foul, but nobody calls it. Um, and then Malfoy starts antagonizing Harry and the twins, and they just snap. Um, which, of course, ends uh, in Umbridge banning them for life uh-huh. from Quidditch. Um so then Harry's all upset, which is reasonable. Yeah. Um, but that leads into Hagrid's tale. So we learn that Hagrid is back. <laughs> um, so they, 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 they hear Hagrid's back, and they're like, okay, let's go there. We don't want anyone knowing, though. So they grab the invisi- uh, invisibility cloak uh, and sort of head over there. They see Hagrid's, like, super injured, and he tells them that he, uh, he went to, like, go get a little bit of, um, like, uh, get, get a little bit of support from the Giants to help out. Uh, who were like, uh-uh, uh, and sort of uh, d- denied it. Uh, and then they see uh, Umbridge is, like, knocking on the door as he's telling this, so they hide, and they sort of eavesdrop into that conversation. Hagrid doesn't tell her about the giants or anything about that. Uh, and then as she leaves, uh, they warn Hagrid. It's like, hey, he, he's bad. Uh, she's like, she's bad news. Uh, don't, like, don't mess with her. Also, try not to teach anything dangerous, even though that's her entire M.O. <laughs> Which leads to the eyes of the snake, um, which we learn that Hagrid disregards all of their warnings, teaches a very violent lesson, uh, to which Umbridge is, Umbridge is just awful to him. Um, and then um, we're kind of led in to the that um, Angela has replaced Harry, Fred, and George on the Quidditch team, hoping for the best. Uh, this is the last DA meeting of the year. Cho kisses Harry. Um, which is like got Harry like all sorts of like, like fluffy, um, but leads to of course this little bit of an argument between Ron and Hermione about Victor Crumb because Hermione still talks to Crumb, um, and then Harry has this very violent dream where he sees um, a snake attacking um, Arthur Weasley. Except he is the snake, and he knows it's real because it's most likely one of those like dumb, uh, the one of those like Voldemort infused dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ron freaks out. And he's like, "Yo, wake the heck up! Like, what's going on?" Uh, McGonagall just sweeps into the dorm. Put on your dressing cloak. Let's go talk to Dumbledore. Um, so yeah, they all run to see Dumbledore, which is where we get the chapter Saint Mungo's Hospital for magical 
maladies? Yeah, maladies. And injuries. Um, so they, uh, they tell Dumbledore, uh, and he, like, he's kind of, he's kind of useless about it. He, like, he summons, <laughs> he summons the portraits of the other people. Like, he kind of, like, does a whole, like, avatar, like, intervention with his past, uh, past selves. Uh, and is like, hey, what do we do? Um, but they, they find, they find out that it's already been, uh, he's already been found. He's already been taken to the hospital, uh, and dealt with. Uh, and then, like, uh, he, uh, Harry, star- as, like, they're leaving... Harry scar burns and he like he looks at Dumb- uh, Dumbledore and he's like ah, um, <laughs> and like he's sort of stopped. Uh, uh, he's like he really wants to attack him, but he's not. This is mostly like Voldemort sort of like seeping into him. Um, and then he uh, he tells uh, a couple other people about the vision, but doesn't say that like he was from the perspective of the snake. Uh, and then they uh, miss uh, Molly Weasley comes back from the uh, from the hospital. And is like hey. Thanks. We we appreciate you uh, like giving this vision out. Uh, you saved my husband, uh, and like sort of once again shows a little bit of the, like you're part of our family. And I believe that he's also invited to stay for the holidays. Right. And well, because we see that they've been transported back, uh, they take a port key back to Grumbled Place. Oh, yes. Um, and they end up visiting Arthur in St. Mungo's, mm-hmm. um, and a little bit of eavesdropping. Uh, they learn that there's a lot of sus from from Moody specifically that he thinks that Harry is being possessed by you-know-who, and Harry just gets reasonably upset mm-hmm. and storms off, um, which, of course, leads us to Christmas on the Closed Ward. Um, so we see that Harry just feels gross. He feels uncomfortable, so he just starts trying to shut himself off from everybody, um, as Harry tends to do. Uh, he gets this brilliant idea that he is going to run away um, rather to protect everybody else uh, because he's afraid he's going to attack somebody else he's close to. So he goes right away, and the portrait, uh, one of the portraits in the house, in, in Grimmauld Place is like, <laughs> no, don't do that. Um, he, well, he's like, you know, of course you're going to do that. I thought you were a Gryffindor. That's what, you're supposed to be brave, but here you are running away. Um, and we get this really beautiful quote that I think sums up the Slytherin house, which is, we Slytherins are brave, yes, but not stupid, for instance. Given the choice, we will always choose to save our own necks. And Harry's like, I'm not saving my own neck. How could I ever be a Slytherin? I'm trying to be... And then he, the portrait's like, oh, so you're being noble. And Harry's like, I guess. Um, we learn that Dumbledore has told Harry to stay put um, through this portrait, to which Harry, like I said, just locks himself in the room. Hermione shows up for Christmas, pulls Harry out of the room and is like, listen, let's just go talk in your bedroom. Um, and which he is being ambushed efficiently uh, by Ron and Jenny as well. And um, Hermione's like, don't lie to us. Um, and, you know, and Hermione's like, ah, oh, Ron and Jenny told us you were hiding. Um, and Harry's like, oh, did they? Uh, Ron's like very, I think this is a big difference between the Weasley kids we'll get into a little bit later, uh, that Ron's very like, not making eye contact with Harry, very like, oh, no, I didn't ever, I never said that. And Ginny's like, yeah, I said it. You have a problem. <laughs> um, and then we see the conversation between Harry and Ginny when it comes to Ginny being possessed um, back in book two. And then they, they end up at the hospital uh, kind of talking with Arthur about Christmas. And Arthur wants to try muggle ways of getting healed. And um, he tells us about all the different characters that are on the ward with him. Um, and then uh, a little bit of wandering on the part of the kids. They end up 
at the kind of the, the section for wizards and witches who have been permanently harmed by magic. And we see Neville and his grandmother and his parents who had been cruciatist by Bellatrix. And we learn a lot of Neville's backstory here, um, which leads us into Occlumency. Uh, so uh, Harry gets told in this in this chapter that it's like, hey, uh, Snape's going to teach you how to um, how to protect your mind from Dumbledore. Or, uh, sorry, from Voldemort, um, <laughs> rather. <laughs> uh, you should probably protect it from Dumbledore, too. Right, but, uh, right, but that's a different, different yeah. book, different tale. <laughs> um, anyway, um, so, like, go. he's, like, angry about that, but whatever. Uh, then, uh, like, when Harry reports this stuff, Snape's like, okay, uh, get ready. I'm uh, I'm going to clear my mind, and I guess the way that Snape wants to teach it is he violently tries to get into Snape's mind using... I. Le- legilimancy was that how that one's pronounced i think so something, something like that uh legilimancy or something like that the, right. the way like magic to right. get into someone's head um so snape like jumps into harry's thoughts and he's like oh i wasn't prepared for that kicks him out and they try a couple more times and it's not working uh but eventually uh like when he tries to do it uh do it it like like writhes up and like brings up some sort of vision from harry again where it, it he is running uh, with Arthur Weasley in this corridor that he recognizes from when he was at the Ministry of Magic. Um, and then he also is... Uh, is this the chapter where he also looks into Snape's... Mm-hmm, no, that's, that's later. later. Okay. A couple chapters. Give us some time. Yes. We'll get there. Sorry, I, I forgot. <laughs> also, a uh, quick note on this chapter as well. Uh, this is also when I, he asks out Cho uh, yes. for a date. I, but not, not much, intentionally. Not intentionally, and that's also not much, but I feel like that we should put that in right. there right now. Well, because the next chapter is specifically about uh harry it's, it's a beetle at bay which is specifically about their hog their hogsmeade weekend uh we see that ron's not going to hogsmeade because of quidditch practice hermione wants to meet harry after his date with cho so they can have like a talk in and three broomsticks or hogshead or whichever one it is um and <laughs> harry and cho go on their date for valentine's day and it's bad cho gets upset um, starts like, oh my gosh, you're going to hang out with other girls after your date with me. Um, Harry has this like, Ugh, women. You're like, yeah, okay, He's Harry. Like, okay. Like, yeah, shut the, oh, shut okay, up, boy. Harry. Um, and and we get this the scene where Cho really just wants to talk about Cedric and work through her trauma, and Harry wants nothing to do with that. Uh, so he so they both storm out of this like his bright shiny like a coffee shop and um harry sits down with hermione who has rita skeeter and luna lovegood in tow and we see them do an interview for the quibbler in which uh hermione is obviously still kind of blackmailing rita skeeter (laughs) uh but in this we see that they're going to do a piece on harry in the quibbler which leads us to seen and unforeseen okay so first off, the story is published uh, by Rita, but Umbridge is like real quick. She's like, uh, "I'm gonna shut down the First Amendment," and just like stops. Uh, <laughs> uh, like he's like, "You're not allowed to read the, these papers." Um, and then also, uh, Harry has this. Uh, Harry has like another vision uh, when he's in the eyes of Voldemort, and he's uh, they're talking about Bo, um, Bode's death, which have we hit on so far? Oh no, I completely skipped it. He gets mysteriously killed. By um, potted devil's snare, mm-hmm. um, and he he worked for the order, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, so then he he uh, he talks to Harry about this, 
Um, and then Harry, uh, Harry, uh, Ron, sorry, Harry talks to Ron about this. Jeez. Uh, and then Ron's like, hey, go to Dumbledore. And Harry's like, uh, no thanks. Uh, he's kind of on my not great list right now. Right. Uh, and then they figure out that he was uh, most likely uh, under the Imperius curse. Um, and he ended up getting, like, he ended up like, sort of going mad and got sent to Mungo's. Uh, he also, Harry then starts, like, uh, goes back to studying Oculumency with uh, Snape and doesn't make too much progress, but he does manage to sort of penetrate Snape's mind for a moment. Uh, but then Tree only comes in and starts shouting, which sort of uh, which uh, sort of gets touched on because Umbridge fired her, uh, which, like, I never really liked her, but I also, I don't yeah. like Umbridge more, so, like, that, right. that's how it kind of weighs out. <laughs> um... <laughs> God. I uh, no, and then because the next I don't know if there's anything else. Next chapter has not really. Uh, Tree only is like allowed to stay on the premises. Right. Until... Dumbledore's like you can fire her, but you can't banish her. Yeah. Um, she also, gets the, I'm she gets hiring the treatment. Right, and also I'm hiring a centaur to replace her, so your blood purity can go right mm-hmm. up there. Because um, we may we've seen Umbridge. We'll get into that later. Anyhow, uh, the centaur and the sneak. Um, we see that um, kind of frenzy takes over. Uh, for Tarani's classes, um, and we get to see that they begin to, the DA starts working on Patronuses. Dobby pops in, warns them, um, and this is kind of when we see uh, the the friend of Cho Chang's ratted out the DA to Umbridge, uh, which ends in them being like, look, this paper says it's Dumbledore's army, Dumbledore, and Dumbledore is like, ha I'm out, <laughs> which leads us into leads us. I feel like that covers almost everything in that chapter. Uh, yeah. Leads us into Snape's worst memory. Okay. Um. So first of all, um, uh, Umbridge replaces Dumbledore, which is a whole mess of crazy. Uh, she also appoints like a whole bunch of like baddies, uh, mo- mostly Slytherins, uh, to sort of like keep uh, keep things tame around uh, around the campus and sort of enforce what she wants um and then fred and george that like are basically trying to make her life like a living nightmare like i believe they like set off fireworks or something uh to just try to make everything as like terrible as possible for <laughs> her um uh then harry also uh he dreams the department of mysteries again uh and is sort of dealing with this and he's like uh sees all the like the, these dusty spheres uh and like as soon as he like touches one he wakes up um, and so he's like, sort of like, whoa, what was that? And like, is like thinking he's got like a one up on Voldemort. It's like, oh, I bet, I bet he doesn't want me to see these. Let me, I gotta try to find out what these are. Um, uh, and then uh, later on, uh, sort of uh, Malfoy I- interrupts like Snape's sort of training with him. Uh, so as he's going to that, uh, Harry decides he's like, let me take a little Dunkarooski and like sort of looks into Snape's minds that he's sort of like stored in the jar uh, and sees that his father's. Uh, like bullied Snape and maybe that his father wasn't really the best person uh, and like sort of this shatters once again sort of his perception of these people that he used to idolize mm-hmm. which leads us into career advice um, so of course Snape is very mad that Harry has seen his memories uh, he refuses to give any more lessons um, so so petty yeah and and, of course, there is a bulletin board about, like, oh, well, here's the different careers you can go into. Um, so George and Fred and George create a distraction to help Harry be able to talk to Sirius because that's all Harry wants to do after seeing that memory. 
Um, and yeah, I'm trying to think. He sneaks into the office, talks to Sirius about what he's seen. Sirius is like, "Listen, it's not that bad. I promise." Um, like he wasn't the like he wasn't this awful. You know, we were just young and stupid. Um, kind of Sirius kind of throws that boys will be boys esque. Uh-huh. Onto that, but then we'll, just, eh, we'll get it's into. It's fine. We bullied a kid. It's whatever. It's fine. Yeah, and we'll get into that in a little bit. And then we see, of course, Fred and George uh, just kind of yeet out of there. They're like, "Ha ha, get wrecked, Umbridge!" And they just zoom out. Um, and they're like, "Oh, by the way, Peeves, give her hell." <laughs> um, so that leads to Grop. Um, so they're getting ready to, uh, they, I think they were going to a Quidditch match, but then, uh, Hagrid's like, hey, can you come with me real quick? I got something to show you. So he shows him a giant that he's brought, uh, on the shorter side of things. His name is Grop, and Hagrid believes that he's his half, uh, his half-brother. Uh, so he's trying to, like, uh, teach Grop English and, like, sort of, I don't want to say civilized, but sort of, like, there's not really a better way that I can put it in yeah. of like of the way that JK talks about it, but like mm-hmm. he's trying to like teach it like human like human notions and sort of bring him around. And then Hagrid has this kind of sad like thought in my head. It's like, hey, if I get fired and like something happens to me, uh, I want you guys to try to like uh, take keep care teaching of him. Yeah, please. like please take care of him. Um, but then as they're like leaving, Hagrid gets surrounded by centaurs, which become like a more and more prominent thing through this book. Uh, and they're like, hey, you should not bring this guy to the forest. He's huge, <laughs> and he's going to screw up the entire everything of the forest. <laughs> um, and then they uh, – I think they go back – I think then they go back to the Quidditch match after that. And then uh, Weasley uh, – they're, like, sort of chanting for Ron. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm finally getting that, like, sort of recognition. I finally, I finally learned how to do this, yeah. which leads us to Owls. Um, of course, we see uh, – they're trying to explain Grop to Ron. Ron is like, what? Yeah. No, I'm not. We're not doing this. Um, um, we see that there are just a horde of people that um, that are coming in to find Hagrid. And is this this is where McGonagall gets hit by a curse too, right? Yeah, I think because so. Because she runs across the yard to go help. Yeah. And like it's it's a crew of people just out to kill Everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so Four Curses Strike Her um, leads into their them taking their owls. And poor Harry is just, like, hasn't had sleep. He's freaking out. And he takes his owls. Uh, and then that night he has the dream that Sirius is being tortured by Voldemort, which leads us into Out of the Fire. Uh, so uh, in this chapter we find that McGonagall was sent to Mungo's. Uh, because uh, she got cursed four times and is still kicking. Um, and then also Harry's like talking about this sort of vision that he gets, uh, but then uh, the, he's like, he's told by Hermione, I believe, that it's like, hey, this seems like he's trying to set you up. Like this seems like all these visions you're, you're having is like trying to get you to go to the department. Uh, and Harry, like, he's like, oh, okay, I'll keep that in mind. I'm still going to go, but I'm going to be careful about it. They sort of try they like rally the uh the former like da members and get ready to sort of like go to um umbridge's office to sort of look around and like try to get like the lay down on things um and the they sort of go in and like people are guarding the door and stuff like that uh, no, uh so it's where, um... they go into the they go into the office 
and then they they use the flu powder to transport themselves, right? Mm, to just talk. Just just talk. Okay. And the only person Harry can get a hold of is creature, right? Mm-hmm. And like that seems to be the constant. I think they were going to take it, take the flu network to there, um, except Malfoy and them bust in to find him, and then Umbridge is like, ha ha ha, I've got you. And then Hermione's like. We, you know, told us, we're just doing what Professor Dumbledore told us to do. Um, there's this weapon. And she's like, fine, I'll show you the weapon. Let's go. <laughs> and they're like, what? And then that's when they, they stumble out into the forest, which mm-hmm. is the next chapter. Um, they run out into the forest. Uh, and Hermione's like, ha, look, told you. Uh, except it's the giant. Um, and I'm just like, what? Uh, freaks out. Um, and then that's when they, they all get... Ron, Ron, Jenny, Neville, Luna get free from the Inquisitor's Mm -hmm. squad, I think is what they're called. Yeah. Um, Such a weird... (laughs) The squad? That's the most intimidating... Like, Inquisitor... Like, just Inquisitor Juniors even is, like, a little bit better than squad. Right. Um, But then they all... It turns out they escaped them using Mm -hmm. their lovely defense skills they've learned from Harry. They find Hermione and Harry in the forest... Harry wants to go alone to find Sirius at the ministry. And they're like, no, 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 no. You're not going alone. Here's this herd of Thestrals. We can take them to the ministry. So then they, they hop on um, and, and they end up in the Department of Ministry, uh, the Department of Minis- Mysteries in the ministry. Um, and we see them kind of like sussing around, trying to find it. Um, and then that's when Ron notices that he gets Ron gets attacked by the the brains mm-hmm. in the the, the tank. They're like, yeah, weird. They're weird. Yeah. Um, and then um, they find the right door and they get through. Um, and Sirius, of course, isn't there because it is in fact a figment of Harry's imagination that Voldemort planted. Um, but we do see that Ron spots the sphere that has Harry's name on it as well as Voldemort's. And Harry's like, okay, cool, I'll I'll pick it up here. Um, and then he hears. Lucius Malfoy be like, hey, boy, get here. <laughs> um, which leads us into, I believe, the next chapters? Yeah. Um, which leads us into Beyond the Veil. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, that was a whole slump of yeah, multiple uh, chapters. I was just going with yeah, what I had in my memory. No, you're good. Um, so in, in this one, uh, Harry's like, like, sort of like laying it on. He's like, hey, tell me where Sirius is. Um... But uh, Malfoy's like, how about you tell me the prophecy? And it sort of, like, goes back and forth on that. Uh, and they, he, he's like, Voldemort couldn't actually come because the orders, like, would have caught him, like, like immediately. So he, uh, so he just sort of, like, manipulated him to be able to get him there. Uh, mm-hmm. and Voldemort's whole thing was he was trying to get the, uh, his sort of, like, uh, his sort of, like, uh, fortune? That's not the word I, uh, I think we like should go the, with. The prophecy. Yeah, the prophecy about him. And when we learned that only those involved in the prophecy mm-hmm. can handle the prophecy, which is why he needed Harry yes. there. Um, uh, so, and then this, the, all of a sudden, though, these students, like, start, like... Uh, fighting. Like, yeah, <laughs> they, they start fighting, and then, like, they're shattering all of the spheres and, like, trying to uh, sort of throw throw everything away. Um Neville, uh, Neville's nose gets just like broken. Uh, I think Ginny's leg get broken. People are getting screwed up left and right here. Um, and then uh, Harry's still like holding the prophecy orb that he has, and he's trying to like book it away. And then uh, the 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 old squad sort of pops up with like Sirius shows up, Moody shows up, Lupin shows up, uh, Tonks is there too. 
Um, Kingsley's there too. I almost forgot mm-hmm. about Kingsley. Um, and then um, they're sort of yelling for uh, Harry to like grab Neville, who I th- I think he got tortured by the same spell that his parents got tortured yeah, by. Yeah, <laughs> there's which, a lot there. That's a whole thing we can unpack later when we right, have more time. Right. Um, so then uh, they're sort of they're sort of running away. Uh, Dumbledore like pops in uh, and is like trying to deal with the Death Eaters. The uh, Strange starts dealing uh, like uh, starts dueling Sirius, uh, and then. Uh, they like Harry's like running away as he sees Sirius get blasted, mm-hmm. uh, and like it's uh, grabbed away by Lupin, and then Lupin's like, he's dead. Yeah, he's gone. Um, and then Harry, we see Harry panic. Poor Harry has just seen so much death here recently, um, so he refuses to believe that he's dead, um, and he starts charging towards Bellatrix, which is probably not the best idea. Um, um, but then Voldemort and Dumbledore both appear. Uh, we see the fight between Voldemort and Dumbledore. And Harry is just in immense pain because he can feel Voldemort in his body and, like, this whole, like, mind meld thing kind of happening there. And and we see that the fudge runs in and he is just confused and he demands to know and promise. And Dumbledore is just like, listen, I know exactly what happened. I will tell you. Harry, however, is going to take this port key back to my office in Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. Um which is, leads us to the lost prophecy. So, um, D- Dumbledore's sort of like explaining things. He's like, "Hey, uh, like Harry, I'm sorry that Sirius died. That one's kind of on me. I'll take that one." Uh, and like he's sort of like blaming himself for it because he never really told Harry the full things of like, "Listen, I kind of assumed that he was planting these things in you, but I'm not gonna tell you." Right. Uh, and then he also uh, he tells him about um, uh, he he tells him about like the sort of like the reason that he had been sent away and the thing that uh, uh, Voldemort was lacking the power that uh, Harry has and that he doesn't is love and that the only way to keep that going and keep him protected was to be sent to the Dursleys uh, and since there is blood there on Petunia um, and so he is sent sort of back there uh, to live in there forever. Or not forever, for the summer. Right, because right. we learn that he has to be there at least a minimum of, like, X amount of time yeah. to validate it. Um, and then next, of course, we see um, is the next chapter is where we just kind of see them in the hospital wing, um, Harry with Ron and Hermione and Ginny and Neville and Luna. Um, and turns out Dumbledore saved Umbridge, so she's also in the hospital wing. Um, McGonagall's good to go. Umbridge leaves the school. Mm-hmm reasonably yeah. so um and we see harry unwrap the mirror sirius gave him for christmas mm-hmm. and he's distraught and he's just screaming at it because he just wants to see sirius and we have harry kind of upset and, and has this conversation with luna about grief um which we'll touch in a little bit later um and then of course they all they all get on the hogwarts express and they all go to head back to well the the real world and harry specifically to Privet Drive. Which, real quick, there's something that I forgot to mention. I don't know why I skipped over it. Um, the prophecy specifically that was uh, that Voldemort was trying to get was that one of them 
uh, one of them was going to die in the fight. One would live and one would die, and that was what was fated to happen. There wasn't a way out of it. But right. Um. So that's important to know. I don't know why I didn't mention that. Right. I think actually that might have been the last chapter instead of the chapter before the last one. But either way, um, that kind of brings us to the conclusion at the end of the world. Um, and we see that Harry has no feelings for Cho anymore. Can't even meet her eye, and they're just like, all right. Back to the real world I go. Mm-hmm. And Lupin is just like, hey, Harry, just keep in touch. It'll be okay. Yeah. Um, it's not going to be it's okay. It's not okay. You can try to pretend it's going to be okay, Lupin. Yeah. Which, this this might be a, a tie-in if we want to use this, but real quick. They, like, it's weird. Like, Lupin has been, like, cute. Like, they, they've been, Lupin and Sirius were, like, best close, of friends. Like, right. super close. And, like... He, like, just got him back not too long ago from, like, where he, like, was, like, this guy was, like, a traitor to us and he's going to be locked up forever. He just got him back. And yet, even though he, like, should be showing, like, signs of grief, he is still trying his hardest to comfort Harry. And I think that, I don't know, we're going to hop into characters real quick and just (laughs) just Lupin's because obviously, as we know from the Prisoner of Azkaban episode, I love Lupin so much. Um, but I think here we see a lot of, of Lupin's obviously been through some crap in his lifetime. Mm-hmm. He has been he has watched many of his best friends die, and I think with losing Sirius, I think we see the fact that Lupin has always been the mature one out of that group of friends, and we see that a little bit in that pensive scene. Um, but we see that Lupin is far more concerned about everybody else around him over himself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just. So heartbreaking. And I think that's the first scene I want to kind of touch on is we see a lot of development around the friendship of the Marauders in this in this book, uh, specifically in the one scene of Snape's memories. Um, I It gives us this reminder that they were friends. Like, it's very easy to scoff and be like, oh, Wormtail was never really one of their friends. But he was. He was right, you know, right there with him. And I, I kind of love the scene where it's, you know they're like how could you not name the five things about a werewolf worm tail you run off with one <laughs> at least once a month you idiot um and and we see a little bit of that too and it's i don't know it kind of, it's very jarring about the loyalty there um the loyalty that was there between between james and lily um and the, the rest of the marauders and specifically with peter pettigrew um, because Harry sees that picture, and she, he sees Wormtail's right beside of both of his parents. And and we, early, of course, this is earlier in the book, and we see Harry's just immediate upset nature at the fact that he is standing beside them as one of their best friends, and he is the reason they're dead. It's just heartbreaking. Just, oh, man. Anyhow. Uh, also, oh, sorry, real quick. Another yeah. thing, I just want to touch on uh, something we said before that I just thought of, um, that, like, this isn't like the first time we've seen that Lupin is like only caring like he cares about the people around him instead of just himself like that Mm -hmm. is like it's made like present like clearly obvious Mm -hmm. to him but like even like the entire thing of him being aware of like he wants to keep this position at the school he wants to stay in touch with Harry and uh and them but he knows that he is kind of a danger at the school and like this one outbreak is like making like making that prominent in his head he's like i cannot stay here no matter how much i want to so it's right another like sort of this is not the first time this right and i just it's so heartbreaking remus lupin's character is just heartbreaking in general um i promise that in book seven i'll get a very different point of view on (laughs) my opinions of remus lupin um at least a couple scenes Uh, anyhow but i just obviously he cares so much for harry 
And I think this is a good place to kind of talk about um, where we kind of go into education here, which is one of our overarching themes for the book. Um, but specifically, Harry is so willing to lead the DA because of the experience he was given by Lupin. Mm-hmm. Lupin has been the only legitimate teacher they have seen their entire time at Hogwarts in the Defense Against the Dark Arts position, uh, which is a whole different can of worms. Mm-hmm. But we see this, like, Harry is given the motivation because he knows that without Lupin, he would not be alive. And in Harry's mind, he it's a little bit of force from Hermione originally, but once he's on board with the idea, he's on board with the idea because people need to be as safe as he can, mm-hmm. um, thanks to Professor Lupin. And I just... Um, and we see a lot of that. Um, like I said, uh, education is one of the biggest points in this book. Um, we see how much the the people have characters have grown in the context of the DA. We see Harry, you know, bouncing around, making sure everybody's doing great. Um, and it makes me really mad that J.K. Rowling made him a wizarding cop and not a teacher. After we see the amazing things he does with the DA, um, it's, it's so. It's like such a missed opportunity. Not right? only that, it like like thematically even. Yeah, it just went like whoosh right over her head. She didn't even <laughs> think about. It. it feels like that was like that's what I'm pretty sure everyone thought was gonna happen. Right. Uh, which we get uh, that in books. I think that's in the. Is that actually in the epilogue? Anyhow, but we see the empowerment that comes with learning defense against the dark arts, mm-hmm. with specifically paralleled to Umbridge's inability to teach, basically. Yes. Um. Because we see the students that are in Harry's select area, or in, in the DA, being taught by Harry, we see on multiple opportunities that they have grown as wizards. Specifically, we see that with Neville, who just absolutely crushes it in the DA. Um, he He's able to beat out Hermione on a couple of spells. He is one of the first ones to pick up a lot of things, which is so impressive because we have been led to believe Neville is this very bad student this mm-hmm. entire time. And I think it just goes to show the difference between a very positive and encouraging educational environment, uh, like opposed to Umbridge and even even Snape's style of education. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this opens up a different topic too of the dangers of bad education. Yes. Um, because we see Umbridge relying. Oh, we're just gonna sit here. We're gonna read this textbook. You're not gonna understand any of it. And then you're expected to go out in the real world and be safe. And it. As somebody who wants to go into the educational field, I think it opens <laughs> up a very like good conversation about the fact that you have you have to appeal to your students. You have to be able to to make this conversation. You have to be able to first off, don't torture your students. That might be a um, hot that's, take. That's the that's rule number one, and like it's like, <laughs> it's like how to be a teacher. Rule number one: don't torture your students yeah, don't torture your students number two don't bully your students don't know why we had to write that one down right but okay. like the guy like penciling that in he's like wait hold up that doesn't make sense but okay but like we see that especially umbridge's classroom and especially snape's classroom they have developed this very um negative environment mm-hmm. for students students are so afraid to mess up which it has been proven many a times over that that if you do not encourage error. You will never fix mm-hmm. error. Um, rather, people will just be so afraid to make an error that when they do make one, they're not afraid. They're they're too afraid to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And we see that in in Snape's classroom, um, because in Umbridge's classroom, they are just completely left in the dark about everything that they need to know. 
Um, which ultimately, if if Neville and Luna and Ginny um, and even Ron and Hermione didn't have this this knowledge that Harry kind of gave to them, they wouldn't have survived the battle of the Department of Ministry or the Department of Mis- Mysteries. There's literally no way they could have. And even with the training, they still like got, it was like, still a struggle. Yeah, still a struggle. They still lost technically. Yeah. And um, uh, sorry, something that I was, I think is also important coming from the sort of education angle is like. There, there's like it's not just that they're being ignorant teachers, uh, or that they're trying to they're trying to use like fear as a motivator or something. They're also sort of like, I don't know how to describe it other than like since they are putting so much like anger on like Harry, they're like trying to make Harry look as bad as they can. They can kind of use him as a scapegoat of like, you better do what we're doing or else you're gonna look like that guy. Right. And they, and they sort of they they put so instead of like trying to make people better themselves to be better they're trying to make people better themselves to be better than that Harry. Kid, right yeah. and i think we see that a lot too um oh, it makes me so mad umbridge you uses harry as a scapegoat and of course it doesn't work because she's teaching just the gryffindors at that mm-hmm. point and if there's one person that the gryffindors can usually rally behind it's harry um we see that she's using Harry as her scapegoat, but mm-hmm. kind of in a different way. She's using Harry as an example. Don't speak out against me unless you want to be tortured. Mm-hmm. Don't speak out against me unless you want, you know, you want to be ridiculed by me. Um, you will not step out of line um, because, you know, you do not want. Harry is an example of the the i guess punishments that she's willing to mm-hmm. use on students she's using him as, a, as an example of like look at this dude we right like, yeah. and then so messed up and we see and uh, the main theme is the imp- the empowerment that comes with education mm-hmm. and like i said we can see that specifically in in the members of the dit so yeah <laughs> um which that kind of brings us we were talking about umbridge torturing uh, we talked a little bit off mic on this, and I feel like J.K. Rowling's got, like, a complex going here. There's, there's a significant amount of torture, not even just in the series, in this, this book. book. Like, specifically a this book. Hey, like, I understand, like, the, I understand you have to make a character seem uh, evil, which is, I, I have something on that, too, that I'll, I'll touch on after mm-hmm. this. But, um, so, and an easy way to do that is to make them hurt a character, like, over-the-top sort of punishment like that's an easy way to do it uh and it's it's, but they she uses it a lot in this like the like draco and them like get the information out of the uh in their little squad like she gets the information about the da basically already um what's uh the neville himself gets tortured and like even in that scene like that was like he already had a broken nose like when we see mcgonagall get crucio that's the curse that hits her in the in the yard and we just, I just, oh my gosh. There was a lot of it. There J.K. Was Rowling's got a complex going here. Yeah. Um, which we we'll, we have a, a mm-hmm. nice rant building up there for, yes. for the J.K. Rowling thing too. Um, and I think, okay, so I do want to hop a little bit again. Um, specifically, we were talking about, we've seen the loyalty or like the, the bond between the Marauders. Mm-hmm. And I think loyalty is most, like in most of the Harry Potter books is a big theme and big motif in this book specifically. Um, we see the DA's loyalty to Harry. Um, obviously none of them snitch it out. They, they look up to him. They, they kind of idolize him just, you know, a little bit. Yeah. 
Um, I think that really starts when he's like telling the story about them like face to face with Voldemort. They, mm-hmm. they sort of go like, "This guy is not what we're being told. Like he is like he's like the re- he's like a genuine article here." Like, mm-hmm. And we see, and so we have the loyalty of of the DA to Harry and Harry to the DA. Harry is so excited um, about being able to go in and and teach and and edu- educate these people and and help them um, better themselves in the world of defense against the dark arts. Um, so much to the point that we see, of course, Sirius and Lupin give him the the textbooks, which is just so mm-hmm. so precious. Um, but we also see um, the student's loyalty to Lupin, even though he is not at the school anymore, mm-hmm. um, in Umbridge's first class with the Gryffindors, uh, when the scene happens, of course, of Harry being like, well, I seen Voldemort come back, ma'am. Um, we see she she's like, I, as I understand it, you've not had the best uh, education in defense against the dark arts. You have had, um, you know, you've had fakes and you've had half breeds. And we see Dean Thomas, who isn't like a big character in this book, just go, whoa, whoa, whoa! You're talking about Professor Lupin, aren't you? He's the best professor we've ever had. Sit down. And it's like this man hasn't been at the school for two years now, and they're still <laughs> like, let's fight, you know? And I think not only that, enough like, <laughs> like for the amount of like love that it must have for like. A side character to say like, like <laughs> yeah. that feels like right. a line out of Harry, but or like, like they were even just like, like like I could see that out of Ron or like Jenny, where she's like, no, listen yeah. here, Umbridge, like, like maybe a secondary character. This is like a, a tertiary. Side. I would say this is a quaternary character, right? right, right. And it's just like, I, uh, yeah, I'm gonna hop on my. I love Remus Lupin, but one more time. So um. <laughs> I love Remus Lupin. Uh, sin one scene. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so, yeah, exactly. Um, and in talking about loyalty, we see a lot. Uh, the loyalties, um, like I said, in the Marauders specifically, we see it with, with Sirius and Lupin. And in a lot of the scenes they share, um, we see kind of the the back and forth they have. In the scene where we talked about earlier where Sirius and Molly are fighting, um, Lupin is the only one that gets Sirius to calm down. We see later in the book that not even Harry can get Sirius to calm down. It is usually just Lupin who goes, Sirius, just sit down, let it roll over you, cool off. And Sirius, without a blink of an eye, is like, all right, I'll sit down. Um, and, and we see that in return. Sirius is like, uh, the, when Harry is talking to Sirius about Umbridge through the, through the first fire, mm-hmm. um, Sirius is like, I've heard about her. I don't want anything. It, like, she, I've heard she's the worst. She really has made, she's made Remus's life absolute living hell. Um, make her pay for it. And you're like, okay. And we see a lot of Sirius's loyalty to Harry as well. Um, And in turn, Harry's loyalty to Sirius. Um, And I'm trying to think, because a lot of it is, is like, just Sirius is willing to do anything and everything for Harry. Also a little bit of him being reckless, um, being like, well, I can meet you in Hogsmeade. I'll join you on the train. And you're like, Sirius, stop. Calm. (laughs) Right. It's. I think that. I think part of that is like, I don't know. This is something that I thought of brief, sort of aside here. But um, Sirius is like, I think he still feels, despite like it wasn't him that ratted out uh, um, James. I think that he still feels responsible because he was the one who wanted the switch. And I think this is this scene specifically is him trying to like, basically he's pushing he's pushing and projecting James onto Harry. So he's trying to do all that he can to make it up to the right. memory of James that he has. Which I don't, and 
I don't think it's in the same light that, that Molly makes the comment. This He isn't James serious. I think this is more of like serious trying to make sure he doesn't make the same mistake again. Yeah, that, that's fair. Um, nobody can protect Harry better than Sirius can in his mind, mm-hmm. which leads to him doing dumb things. Yeah. <laughs> um, ends up in why he gets got. It's, yeah. If he, if I'm, I, I, I fully believe if Lupin was beside him during that fight, like n- maybe not even just fighting, he would have made it out alive. He would have been able to be like, hey, bud, uh, maybe uh, get out of here. It's like, like oh, let's okay. leave. Um, well, that's the thing, too, is it almost, I'm going to say this, it almost doesn't make sense that Sirius is with the crew of them it's... in the Department of Myst- Mysteries because I know hypothetically it's because J.K. Rowling wanted to kill off Sirius. Yes. Um, she made the stylistic choice to do so. But in my mind, it just, it just doesn't make sense that he would be with that, that crew of the Order. Every other member of the Order being there makes sense. Mm-hmm. Kingsley Shacklebolt, Tonks, Remus, Mad-Eye, whoever else. That all makes sense. But Sirius is the odd character out. There would have been no reason for him to leave Grimmauld Place. They would have never let him leave. And it just really does a lot of throwing me there. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it does make a comment about Sirius's loyalty to Harry and that that concept of nobody can protect Harry better than I can. He heard Harry's at, at the ministry. Mm-hmm. He knows what's at the ministry. He knows who's going to be looking out at the ministry. Mm-hmm. Sirius is going to be there no matter what it takes. I also think that if, if like, in the parallel universe where he wasn't here, like, I think that would have also felt a little empty. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like this fight was, like, the one uh, for Sirius, yeah. If Sirius wasn't here, I I think I would be kind of missing it. Right. Even, even though he died, it would probably right, still right. be alive. Makes, I, think it would, yeah. I think it makes sense for him to be there. And, and we see, um, in the same light, we see the loyalty that the Weasleys have to Harry. And mm-hmm. then Harry has the Weasleys. First off, Harry doesn't bat an eye to go beat the crap out of Malfoy the moment he starts talking crap about Molly Weasley. Um, the scene there where, where he's like, I don't even remember... I, Harry didn't remember letting go of George and they both which of all plans and then not being able to play Quidditch anymore but they just charge Malfoy they're ready to beat him to a pulp mm-hmm. um and it just oh, man and we see that the Weasleys truly love Harry Harry is one of theirs um in every way but blood Harry is one of their kids um we see that where Harry's uh, the scene where they go to St. Mungo's uh, for the first time, Molly's like, well, he's just waking up, so how about, you know, how about the order stay out here? We'll go in first, and then and we'll switch out. And Harry tags back with Moody and talks, and Molly grabs him by the shirt and goes, no, 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 boy, <laughs> get in here. And you're like, oh, family. Um, and, yeah. And in the same light, we've, we've talked about this multiple times, off mic, which is Harry's, like, blind loyalty to Dumbledore. Yeah. Especially in this book, he has no no reason to be loyal to Dumbledore. I mean, he does, but he doesn't in the same light. He, uh, he may, I can see some respect. I can, I can understand respect right. for Dumbledore. But this book especially, they, she shouldn't have this blind of loyalty. Uh, and it's... I'm not sure if this is the time to go into it, but it's it's a thing that like J.K. Rowling like has this sort of issue with, which is like she's like super strong on these bonds, despite all, always like crapping on the Hufflepuffs. But she is super strong on these bonds and loyalties, and like even when these people are not doing things that like maybe should make you question this, it's still like strong as ever. It, like, it especially goes into the whole like uh, near the end. It's like 
oh yeah, you have to be with uh, uh, with Petunia uh, to protect you. Like this, the, despite like not liking her and despite her being a piece of crap to you, uh, you are still bonded together by blood, and like that protects right. you and makes you loved. But you know what? No, I think this is the perfect time to start crapping on J.K. Rowling because here's <laughs> the thing: um, she's painting it. Like I said, we've also talked about off mic about this. Um, she has this concept, I think, that she's painting the kind of narrative that just because you share blood with somebody, you are you are bonded to them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's no, no. I hate to break it to you, no. Um, because let me tell you what: if somebody is is abusive to you, is manipulative to you, it doesn't matter what you share in blood. Get out of there. Do what is best for you. Stay safe kind of thing. And she is pushing this narrative that it's okay to get abused if it's by a family member. And that's messed up. Yeah, and not only that, but it's it's like you should still, like, it is better for you to be there than with loving family. Which is right. like, which is weird because it feels counterintuitive because at the very least the message that was getting pushed before was like, your like your family family like it like isn't just or sorry your family isn't just the people that you're related to but it's the people that you build and like the families yeah. that you have yourself but then she still insists on tearing that down tearing that down and like pushing the like it's especially because petunia has like a little bit of not okay i wouldn't call it redemption but her character is made a, a little bit more sympathetic later well, but it doesn't if, even feel it doesn't feel because of everything we know about her before it doesn't make it feel any better it just feels right. like JK's trying to make you like her more well and we see that a little bit in this book with with the scene where 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 Vernon's like you're putting my family in danger get out Potter mm. child Petunia gets the howler and she goes no he must stay uh, first off forced her hand there that's the only reason she did that mm-hmm. um but like it just sets up the Kind of like what you had said. It is going back on everything she's built mm-hmm. from here on out. Harry has developed this home and this family with the Weasleys and with Hogwarts. And J.K. Rowling is saying, none of that matters if you turn your back on your real family. I, I don't know who needs to hear this, but it it does not matter. Blood does not matter. Uh, your family are the people who take care of you. It's the people mm-hmm. who care for you, not the people and who even- are forced to take care of you. Even in this book, it seems like she's she's still trying to keep the like your your like family you make is more powerful because like there's the bit of like him the realizing DA. yeah like not even not even just the DA but like that's that's a good scene for of like he's building these people this is a, this is a group of students that he is like showing love and compassion for and like right. teaching them. Um, he also learns that his father wasn't as good of a person as he originally thought. And, like, it seems like it's setting up for this. But then he, she insists on putting this thing at the end. She completely reneges on everything she had prior. And it's so, it's so strange. I just, man. It's a completely dropped ball, in, in my opinion. Like, even I know, like, the excuse that I have seen on this when I was doing a little bit prior to the recording was that, oh, but it's like, it's the magic spell that's keeping it. It just goes into the BS. sort of love thing. BS. No, because... It's not like this magic exists and she's using it to the best of her abilities. She's the one who created this. This love spell, uh, this like sort of power of love was like only like a like metaphorical concept. Now that you are making it a physical concept, you are just putting like restraints on it. This is another thing. Sorry, real quick. Um, <laughs> J.K. Rowling has this weird thing where uh, a lot of things throughout the book that like were just metaphorical, she makes into literal like physical concepts. Like based upon magic like the whole like oh they haven't kept a single defense against the dark art teacher 
that later we find out it's an actual literal curse put on the position. Like mm-hmm. if you keep some things metaphorical or at the very least like obscured a little bit, I think it has a lot more power than just like, oh, yeah, nope, sorry, writing that off. Which like, that gets it- right back into my point of why in the heck did she not make Harry against the, the defense against the nervous teacher? But that's a whole, it's- we're going to go full circle on here. Um, Here's another thing. Um, As as you grow up, you realize that the people you idolize are not are not perfect, and mm-hmm. we see Harry experiencing that. Um, Very similar to how most of the, the Harry Potter community um what most of the Harry Potter communities experience with J.K. Rowling, Harry, mm-hmm. we see Harry experience that in this book. He is realizing that his father is not perfect. He is realizing that his that his godfather he's looked up to is not perfect. Mm-hmm. He even learns that Remus Lupin is not not as perfect as mm-hmm. he thinks they are. And and we learn that he also thinks he starts to see that with Dumbledore a little bit too. Um, and it really makes this comment about growing up. Um, because like we had talked about earlier, he sees that in the peninsula, in the pensive scene of Snape, of, of, Sir- of James and Sirius just laying in to, uh, Snape and Lupin doesn't do anything to stop it. He's just kind of like, Oh, here we go. Mm-hmm. He doesn't take part in it, but he doesn't say anything about it. And Harry has this like earth shattering revelation that her, that his dad was not, this perfect and wholesome person that he's always assumed him to be. And I think it's very similar to what a lot of kids experience when you when you learn, like, that one thing about your parents or the multiple things about your yeah. parents. Or when you see, or even, like, your grandparents, too, you see the veil kind of shatter. Yeah. And I think that's... It's, it's sad, but it is a part of growing up. Like, right. realizing that not everybody is perfect and that people have their own flaws. Uh, and it's also important to know, like, that you do not just because they are family, uh, despite what J.K. is trying to push, uh, right? You don't need to like fully accept that as like and still like like un like undoubtedly like follow them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also uh, like you said, it's a commentary on growing up that comes uh, with this book. Where at the end, the the trio and kind of the rest of the members of the of the DA realize that like a war is about to happen, and they need to grow up and they need to become adults to like face this because there's not many people looking around and seeing the rest of the adults with them that are going to be able to do this like the people that harry would have relied on to like be able to stop voldemort from coming back one of them just died the others are a little bit discredited in his his mind he sees that the entire basically wizard cops are a corrupt organization whenever she got the model for that from um (laughs) and uh and like they realize harry teaching all these members of the day they're the only ones that are going to be able to stop this they mm-hmm. need to mobilize dumbledore's army as an actual army against this and to do that they need to be willing to grow up faster than they they were going to and i agree i think this is we talked about the the fact that the prisoner of azkaban's the last happy book chamber of or um shoot uh, goblet of fire serves as the actual turning point but in this book is when we see this is there, of course, the, like we see a lot of them growing up because we see a lot of the relationships between them all, which we'll dive into in a second. Um, but it's this book where Harry's like, like he, there's a couple of times where he goes, 24 hours ago, I was so stressed out, and now Cho is in love with me. Oh, my gosh. And then the next you know, couple of chapters away, he's like, oh, my gosh, 24 hours ago, I was just so happy about Cho kissing me. Um, now I've watched my best friend's dad get got, but not, mm-hmm. um, now the world is so crazy. And I think that's such, this is where we see the beginning of them having to be adults, yes. despite they're only 15 or 16 mm-hmm. years old. 
Um, I also, I know we've said this for the past couple books, but like the series is getting darker and darker mm -hmm. and it doesn't really stop at this point. This is sort of when mm -hmm. the departure from being a sort of like kids uh, series becomes more young adult. Right. Um, and I think here too, I mean, even thematically, we're seeing a big shift um, in what's happening. Of course, at the end of, of Goblet of Fire, we're giving our first death that Harry witnesses. Mm -hmm. This book just keeps building on that. And of yeah. course, we'll see a lot more of it in the next book. And, and she does, she does not, she's not like, oh, this may, this like side character dies. It's like, nope. No, uh, they just right, right yeah. there. Just full, full throttle start murdering people. Um, and we see a lot of the shift too, of course. There's a, for, there's a bigger focus on secrecy as well. Mm -hmm. Um, of course, with Grumble Place and with the order being in place, uh, the secrecy around Sirius, mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. We're seeing that there's so many layers to what goes into growing up. Not everybody knows everything, and that's kind of a big difference for Harry. Mm -hmm. um, he's so used to sharing everything with, with at least his, his two best friends that, of course, he still shares most of that information, but he's starting to learn that I'm going to keep some secrets to myself because they don't even know that we see that with with Umbridge's torture originally. We see that with his point of view on the attack of Mr. Weasley. And we see that with Harry stops telling them when his scar hurts. Um, Harry also does a lot more inner dialoguing here. Um, I don't, I didn't remember that from last book. I don't think it was in there. No. I think this is the first book where we get Harry talking to himself more than he talks to other people. Um, but yeah, um, I guess the t keep on the topic of adolescence. We do see a lot of relationships like coin flipping throughout this book. Of course, we see Harry who's in love with Cho, but then they kiss and they go on their bad date and then Harry wants nothing to do with Cho. Mm -hmm. um, and then we see Ginny's in a relationship and Ron being like, mm, Ginny's my little sister. I'm going to beat him up. And you're like, no, you won't. <laughs> and then we see Hermione who still talks to Crumb, which also makes Ron mad. Um, yeah. Anyhow, so one point I do want to hit on that we haven't talked about yet is unity. Um, we see a lot. First off, we're introduced to one of our first characters who's just completely isolated from anything, which is Luna. Mm -hmm. We'll touch on her at the end. Um, and we also see that Harry is starting to self-isolate. Like I said, he's talking to himself more in this book than he has in any other book. Actually, for the first time, we're seeing this inner dialogue he has with himself. Mm -hmm. um, especially after Harry finds out that members of the order believe he might be possessed by you know who he freaks out mm -hmm. he locks himself in his room he doesn't talk to anybody despite what's happening around him he isolates and we see jenny well we see hermione ron and jenny all three call him out on that and we have that beautiful scene from jenny where she's like it's very dumb of you to isolate yourself um when the only other person you ever know who's been possessed by you know who is sitting in front of you and i just i think that's a big point mm -hmm. to, to just even just dwell on for a hot second and, so yeah and i think that is i think that uh specifically is important because it kind of shows that like we talked about for um like lupin was very like uh like he was more concerned about the people around him than anything else i think this is harry trying to sort of like be a little bit more like some of these role models and he's like if if like i am going to be like dangering me he sort of like locks himself away like keeps away from everybody he's not trying to burden everything with this and this is sort of the awakening that sort of Ginny and uh, Hermione and Ron sort of bring upon him that, like, he can't do that. That's, one, not him. And, two, 
doing that is in itself more selfish and like keeping these from uh, things from them is more selfish than than not and and i think we see that that it and it really comes to a bullying point right there where mm-hmm. harry's trying to run away and this isn't the first time or the only time that harry tries to protect the people around him he wants to go to the ministry by himself he wants to run away from his friends and family and go back to privet drive just to make sure that they're safe um and of course it's very against harry's nature um and like i said he wants to visit he wants to go find sirius at the ministry alone because he does not want to put his friends in danger um of course his friends are the most loyal and Mm -hmm. the most ready to fight people um yet again for a franchise that really likes to crap on hufflepuffs they really hit on loyalty because that's another (laughs) thing they like almost like make it like they almost like loop um uh, loyalty into bravery like say it's say it's brave to be loyal to your friends and i feel like that's just i feel Not like that's a little unfair we could get into <laughs> in our in our uh, midway point episode we'll get into the the, the <laughs> issues we have with the housing systems too so but i think this serves as a good talking point to kind of ta- to move into characters. I think the first big character we kind of wanted to talk on was Harry. Yes. This is the first book we get Harry as a character, mm-hmm. not just the the lenses of which we are viewing the franchise. Yes. Um, Harry has a personality in this book. He has an internal struggle in this book. We see a lot more of Harry as a character here. We see Harry struggling a lot more as a character here. Um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also, I would say, I, the, the, it's not just Harry that gets a lot of character in this one. It's like a lot of characters sort of like it's built on and they get a little bit more nuanced. Granted, they just, have almost 900 pages to do it. Yeah. It's Ginny is also no longer like, I have red hair. I have red hair. I'm a Weasley. Like that was kind My of My favorite Ginny scene is her, um, when Molly's like, fine, you know, Fred and George are like, well, if. Harry's staying, we're of age, and they're like, yeah, okay, all right. Mm-hmm. And Ron and Hermione, well, look, you can't tell us to leave because Harry's just going to tell us everything. Mm-hmm. She's like, Molly's like, fine, Ginny, upstairs. And the paragraph reads something along the lines of, like, they could hear Ginny complaining and yelling at her mom the entire way up the four flights <laughs> of stairs. And I'm just like, I love Ginny so much. Um, um, we see her call out Harry. We see her call out Ron. Um, and also, I just, man, I love Ginny. This is Good book for Jenny. Not the best book for Jenny, but a good good build for Jenny's mm-hmm. character. But that hopped us off of Harry. Um, but we see a lot of of Harry's... We learn a lot more about Harry's personality in this. Mm-hmm. We see that he is so conflicted with who he is, with who he wants to be. Um, also, Harry... I just... I realized this in reading this book. Harry does a lot of mirroring. Mm-hmm. Um, the people around him is whose personalities he kind of picks up on. Um, and you can kind of see it throughout all the books. We mm-hmm. see in book two, he picks up a little bit on Hermione. Um, you know, he he does a lot of clinging to Ron's character, kind of the personality Ron has, Harry has. Um, and kind of like what we said earlier, Harry really mirrors Lupin in this book. He wants to be, he wants to isolate to save his friends. He takes to teaching and wants to do it well. Um, I think that offers, I think Lupin offers a big inspiration to Harry's life. Um, Harry also has this epiphany that he's not as brave as his dad was in mm-hmm. some sense. He's not willing to do the crazy outlandish things that James was. And it kind of hits him a little bit, we see. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, that hops us well into the next character we're going to talk about is Sirius. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Sirius does a lot of guilting of Harry. Yeah. Um, Sirius has a very up and down mood. Um, he's very happy when Harry's there. He's very upset when he learns Harry's going to go back to Hogwarts. He's very happy when Christmas rolls around, despite the messed up reason that everybody's back for Christmas. Um, we, we see Harry, or we see Sirius just ready to do very dramatic things to give his life purpose, I guess mm-hmm. you can say. Um, but the biggest thing is there is the scene where he's like, well, your dad wouldn't have blinked twice about letting me, like, come into Hogsmeade with me and causing trouble. And Harry's like, yeah, but I'm saying it's reckless. Mm-hmm. Um and we see it again where he's like, Sirius is like, do you think me and your dad would have laid down and let Umbridge tell us what to do? No, we wouldn't have. Form your independent, mm-hmm. like, council of children warriors. Like, yeah. mess her up. And you're like, oh, Sirius, he is still a child. <laughs> Which, that's also, I think, an important thing. Um, kind of going back to the sort of, like, growing up themes. Sirius is a very immature character. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is sort of influencing Harry and trying to get him to, like, be a little bit more like uh, like James used to be and, like, sort of, like, a little bit immature and, like, trying to, like, go go along with his schemes. And I think with Sirius's death, that is the biggest catalyst of being, like, childhood and, like, immaturity has to go. The only thing, the only character that really has that, minus kind of Fred and George, but I don't really count them for that, um is Sirius, and I think that's one of the reasons that he was killed off. Everyone needs to grow up, and Sirius as a character would only impede in that process. Mm-hmm. I agree. So do you want to talk about the twins? Yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> Go for it. Okay. I'll let you have the floor on this one. I know you've been waiting for this rant for a couple okay. weeks. I I really like the twins. They are, mm-hmm. my, they are some of my favorite characters, uh, minus Neville. Um, however... Um, and I, I really love the sort of buildup that the series has given them because originally they were just, haha, they're like, comic uh, relief. yeah, they're, they're just comic relief. Um, and I, I always like comic relief characters, but I, I, I think that they can a lot of times do more than they can, but they started with this, this almost sort of like brotherliness to Harry and sort of just like the, you're like upperclassman friend that you know, that's like really nice to you and stuff. Um, and like as the series grows, they kind of were a little bit like stayed in that for like books two and three and four they got a little bit more like they were still like pulling pranks and stuff like that uh but they were they were trying a little bit more and like they were like kind of rooting for harry was like hey uh did you how'd you manage to do that like like how'd you manage to put your name in there Mm -hmm. um and like book five is like i think i i don't know i think this is where it sort of culminates for them like they get they get like personality more than just like before, I would say that they were indistinguishable characters. They had from each one other. personality. They had one for shared between them. the two of them. And it was comic relief. They also only had like one brain cell that they shared. <laughs> right. um, but now it is like not only are they comic relief, but they are like, they want to like, they have a set goal. They're trying to set up their gag shop. They're like using these things to like actually help. Um, they are, they are also like, they are adamant. Both of them are adamant in what they believe. And like, they they are like rule breakers and stuff, but they like still supported like Dumbledore and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And when Umbridge takes over and is causing like basically um, like sort of uh, like a tyranny across Hogwarts, they are right there to sort of stand up against it. And I think that there's a reason that they or that um, J.K. gave them the Marauders map. It wasn't just ha ha. Look, we get to pull pranks around the school. They are what the Marauders used to be. Oh, yeah. And they are, like, 
the sort of the last bastion of, I don't want to say like immaturity because that's not the word I think, but like, like until the very end, they are still in like childlike innocence and also like childlike chaos. Yeah, childlike chaos. And but even despite that, they are firm in their beliefs and they right. are like if they believe in something if they like want to do something they're not stopping until they do it and i don't know i think it's i think it's really powerful and i really like what this book does for them right i uh, agree and like even going forward like they they only get more fleshed out and it's, it's i don't know also this book makes it so like their gags weren't just haha funny they were important they were not just a comic relief tool they were a tool in general they, they, they were actually in. yeah they it helped them like distract from umbrage i don't know i just mm-hmm. i really liked it and i think well, <laughs> i think I, it would be more <laughs> to talk about them at all um and I, I i agree this is the first book that we're not the first book because we see a little bit of their personality start coming out in goblet of fire but in this book we get this the distinction between fred and george mm-hmm. fred is more hot-headed he is ready to he is the one who at the drop of the dime is ready to fight george is a little more not He's a little more in, in tune with other people's emotions around him. Mm-hmm. Um, we see, of course, uh, the one scene where they're they're picking at Zachariah Smith, I believe, in the DA. Fred is ready to jinx him, and George is like, George sees that Harry is not ready to, like, is, like, not happy about the fact they're being mean to him, and George is like, hey, okay, we'll cut it out. Um, but I just, I agree. This is a good book for most of the Weasleys. Like, let's be honest. I also... I, I forgot that I had this, like, originally, but the speaking of, like, the the parallel uh, and, like, the, the difference in the personalities and uh, earlier uh, the parallel between them and the Marauders, I think it is set up that they are a, a comparison between Sirius and Lupin. Mm-hmm. And thinking about that, there's a little bit more that you can go on to <laughs> of a comparison between Sirius and Lupin. Right. Uh, which I don't think we should touch on yet. That's but, a lot, yeah. Yeah. But we see, and this also reminds me of talking about parallels. I'm going to hop back a little bit for mm-hmm. a second. We see a parallel between Harry and Sirius. Both of them want to run away from home. Both of them have a very disdain for the family and the house that they grew up in. And I think that says a lot about their characters. Mm-hmm. But we see that they are two sides of a different of the same coin. You know, Sirius is the hot-headed version where Harry's the the little more reserved esque. And like you said, I think the twin. I think the sa- same can be said for the twins. The parallels that they have, obviously, they've had the same upbringing, the same everything. But they both kind of act as not a foil to each other, more of an encouragement to each other. Mm-hmm. They humanize each other. Yes. They are, I think that's important. It, it it also kind of the way that that is characterized kind of justifies that they didn't have much. They were like the same person. It's because separate they are. I don't want to say they're less, but one without the other doesn't really work. They were both using each other as a sort of like support system uh, throughout the schools, especially and, in their family too. Yeah. In a, in a family that large where everybody kind of pairs up, of course, Ron is closer in age to Jenny, so mm-hmm. they're going to be closer. And then you have Percy, who's just a prat. And then you have, of course, Charlie and Bill, who are both closer in age. Fred and George had each other. Mm-hmm. That is how it went. I think that says a lot. That The way that develops is very, very, very true to most sibling relationships. Speaking of Weasley children, let's a little, little bit of Percy here. Um, I have to. I, I want to punt Percy um, first off. He made Molly Weasley cry. Don't do that. Second off, he returns his his Christmas jumper with no note, no nothing. Just like a, hey, screw you, mom. And it just, I understand that you want to be more than what your family had. But do not 
downplay the loving family you have, you and, know? And this isn't, I want to make this distinction real quick. This is not a saying, like, sort of like going back on what we said about, like, you can separate from your family. Right. This is, this is like, that, that is sort a, of like, if there, yeah. is a, if there is a problem with your family, if you do not need no, to if stay. The, if somebody is abusing you, yes. get out. Um, if you have... If you have fully loving parents that are only trying your best to support them, you shouldn't just shut them out, especially not with any word. Also, without it's without not hesitation. just to your, with his siblings too. Like he cuts off connection to all of his siblings, with the exception of Ron. He sends Ron one letter, and it's basically telling Ron that his life is a mistake. Mm-hmm. How dare he still be friends with? It's a bad decision for him to be friends with Harry Potter. It's a bad decision for him to even be in that house. He should run away too. Mm-hmm. It's and, it's also like. The only reason he even sends the letter to Ron is because he's a uh, he gets prefect and he's like, hey, good job. Also, be like Harry. me. Yeah, like it's just ugh, I hate it was. Season. It's it was almost like he was trying to groom uh, like Ron Ron's. into being like him. Yeah, which actually kind of shows, if anything, he was the abuser in that family. He was the one being manipulative and like rude to the rest of the family. Well, and we see that too with with his actions with Jenny as well yeah, back in book two. But that's a tangent. Um, and I think we should kind of talk about, talk about Dumbledore. Um, and, well, no, we've really talked about him. Never mind. Um, let's, you want to talk about Neville? Yeah, let's talk about Let's Neville. talk about Neville. <laughs> Sorry, um, I feel like it's just like Rick is talking about his characters. Like, yeah, like, well, like, I, I have the floor multiple times about Lupin. I will let you have okay. two of, <laughs> three of your characters. Two to three characters. Can, um. Neville. <laughs> okay, so Neville, I, I like uh, I we have t- I've talked on why I like Neville. I think it's it's like takes a lot of courage to stand up to your friends, uh, and I think that his character has only grown. Like even when he was just a side character in the very first book, it has grown from ah uh, dorky little kid sitting there can't do nothing to like the last book. It was like hey he's actually pretty good at herbology and like he's not just a do nothing. Like he's and like it start it also like. I have a little bit of problem that, like, the way that they tried to redeem him is by making it go, like, oh, he's good at this subject instead of just, like, the thing of, like, not everyone is good at school and that's right. okay. Um, however, in this book, it's, like, it sort of uh, leans a little bit more into this. He's not as good at these things, but with it's not just because he can't do it. It's because he's been <laughs> he's been given, like, the worst teachers. Like, think about it, His biggest fear was Snape. Which just goes into why Snape is a bad teacher. But then we'll... Yeah, it is. I digress. His biggest fear was Snape. And then he gets called out uh, the next book um, by, like, he's like, Hey, kid, didn't your parents get tortured? <laughs> you want to see that spell on a big old spider? Isn't that quirky? <laughs> like, it was... Isn't that quirky? <laughs> it's like... Uh, he's been given the worst. Like mm-hmm. I, nah. I think it's I think it's worse than Harry. Um, but there's the you could argue, and I don't want to uh, about like who has it worse. Right. But because we shouldn't compare traumas. But um, he has been given such a rough go of it, and then in the DA with a good teacher, uh, like teaching from Harry, he like thrives, and he's he doing better by the like. Hermione is kind of established as one of these smartest young wizards, and he is beating her in some things just because he was given a different environment. And I think that is super powerful, and I think it's it's nice. I that, love Neville. And we, we also see like before, like he was kind of the the reason that uh, they the house points like in the first right. book one is because he like, he was like a shining example of the bravery that Gryffindor is supposed to uh, show. 
this character, even though like once, like we said, we keeps getting beaten down in the books, he still shows up to the ministry and is like fighting along with them. And once again, already touched on this, he gets tortured by the same spell that caused his parents to go insane. Like, we also, we also, yeah, we, we learn a lot more about his family. We learn a lot more about his family. Uh, uh, he visits his family still. Uh, they are still being held in like. Uh, uh, the hospital because they have gone like they have like lost their minds and like a lot of their faculties to this uh to like the curse which i don't know how long you have to be tortured i don't know if that's they, like, a lot that's yeah that's a lot um and, and one of the sweetest scenes in this book is the and it's like the sweet with the sadness like you know really piled on is when neville's mom like hobbles out with her little gum wrapper mm-hmm. and and his grandma's like all right take it from her and she's like, go ahead and drop that in the trash. That woman's giving you enough paper to like to to paint your room. Mm-hmm. And Harry's like, and I watched Neville put it in his pocket. And you're just like, this boy just he is hanging on to every thread his parents give him, and it's, they never get a resolve. And I'm not sure if this was an intentional thing by J.K. Rowling, um, but I I I always interpreted it, even when I first read this. I always interpreted it like. His parents had, like, lost a lot of their faculties, but the thing that was still persisting was their love for Neville. Absolutely. I'm not sure. Uh, they, and J.K. also never goes into the specifics of what exactly, like, uh, like is uh, has, like, occurred to his parents other than just torture. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, it seems like there is still the, the love in there persisting, and, like, maybe the, the gifts of paper are her trying to, like, communicate still like, communicate, still show love. And I think that... I think that Neville thinks that too, and that's why he's holding on to them. And it's it's really extremely touching. And I just I love that we see Neville get a power. Like yes. Neville Neville is a powerful wizard, and we see that in this book. Yes. And it's amazing. Yes. So I think we should go ahead and move to MVP and and LVP because I feel like we're going to have the same LVP, which is the one character, the one overarching character we have not talked about yet. Mm-hmm. I know that that'll be a pretty good rag at the end of this. I assume it's is it. Are I assume a, so. Okay. Starts with a U? Yes. Yeah, exactly. I thought so. Okay. Um, so we'll go MVPs first. Okay. You want to go? Because I'm yes. pretty sure everyone knows mine. I, my MVP is McGonagall. Um, first off, we get the iconic have a biscuit potter line. <laughs> um, she just wants Harry to keep his head down and keep pushing along. And just this this book is so powerful, McGonagall. We watch her take four curses at the same time to the back, and she's fine. She, she recovers I was going to say, she, she, wasn't, she wasn't fine. Uh, she wasn't fine, no, but she recovers almost with increasing speed. We see her keep her poise, keep her, her head on, um, despite the fact of Umbridge just rooting it around. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a woman who's dealt with so much crap in her life, and she just handles Umbridge like, like a champ. Um, we also see her that she's actively involved in everything for the order, but she does not go easy on any of the kids involved, like any of the kids she knows that are well aware of what the order is doing. And I just, I love McGonagall. Also, I'm all here for like, I just, I just love her and her balance of stern and caring for her students. And I think that McGonagall is the perfect example of a good teacher. So you are MVP, Brett. All right. Uh, so I have chosen uh, for my MVP uh, Dolores Umbridge. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hold up. One second here. <laughs> yeah. It's – I just talked about the boy. It's oh, Neville. Um, reasonable, reasonable. I don't think I need to really touch on why. I kind of just did that, but I'll sprinkle it in. Man's covered uh, – gone through the most adversity uh, through this book. He has been faced, like, 
like with, without fail, he's been put through a heck of a lot. Um, and I think that it is just great that he's actually getting time to shine. Not only is he a powerful wizard, but it, it's kind of shown in this that just because you aren't good at like a subject doesn't mean that you aren't capable or, or anything less. It just means that you're not in a great environment for it, for that learning style. And I, I, I just think it's really great. And I, I've always, I've always liked the character. Uh, and I don't know. I just think it's nice. Yes, I agree. So we'll go to, to LVP. It's the same one. Yeah, it's it's Dolores one. Umbridge. Yeah. Um, the only character we have yet to talk about because she is literally the worst. Mm -hmm. This woman is the epitome of a bad teacher. She is also the the overarching example of of government putting their nose where it belongs. I have this like theory that she represents like no child left behind, which is like a weird. Oh, we might I cut can that. Yeah. I can see it. Um, she yeah. has this like the policy of like, oh yes, if we all. Focus just on our textbooks. You do not need performative magic. You will only need to just know this knowledge. Mm -hmm. And Sirius has the line, whereas it, it's like, isn't it better to be expelled for knowing what to, and uh, be expelled and knowing how to keep yourself safe over still being at school and having no idea. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's true. Umbridge is arguably the worst teacher they have. Umbridge is also the only character I know of in any of fiction that is truly evil. Yeah. Like um, Voldemort thinks he, you know, I, I assume Voldemort knows that he is, what he is doing um, is not the best. He is aware of that. He, he is aware that this awful stage is a step to his perfect utopia. Same thing with the Lestranges. They mm -hmm. are doing everything they need to do because they are trying to achieve their goal no matter who they have to step on. Umbridge thinks she's doing right. Yeah. Umbridge thinks she is doing what is best. She is following the ministry policy. She is doing everything perfectly fine. And I think that's what makes her truly evil. And we'll see in book seven when she has, she is the ability to conjure a Patronus in front of hundreds of Dementors without, without wavering. Mm-hmm. She doesn't even have to pay attention to him. She performs other magic while her Patronus is just chilling around Dementors. That's so... Woman doesn't even sense the, like, difference in the room. And we'll talk about that a little bit when we get into Seven. But she is truly one of the only characters I know of in all of literature that is universally hated. Mm -hmm. I don't know a single person who can be like, oh, well, this is why Umbridge is acting this way. I mean, kind of like we touched on, um... Torture is a very easy way to make people go, okay. <laughs> You're bad. I can see. I think I see what the, where the tides are turning here. Right. Um, so I think that's I, – I, I think that everyone recognizes she is not good. She is not only torturing our, like, main protagonist here, but she's torturing other people. Like, any, any character that you liked kind of gets the short end of the stick from uh, Umbridge. Right. Uh, and I think that it is a very easy, encompassing way. Like – the only quicker way is if, like, because her, like, room's filled with cats. Like, that's the one thing that maybe, like, someone who really likes cats would, like, mm -hmm. like her. But, like, the only way to make her seem like a worse villain is if she, like, punted a dog. <laughs> she takes a cat and punts yeah, it out like, the window of the... She, like, takes... Oh, what's Hagrid's dog's name? Fangs. Fang, thank you. <laughs> like, takes Fang and, like, throws him in, like, a fire or something. Like, that's, like, that's the only way she can one-up her, like, evil here. Um... As somebody who likes cats, I still hate Umbridge. Yeah. Like, I also think that her teaching style, obviously bad, uh, and that, that that we've touched on that one too, but I think that it is a very clear sort of like also take on like 
just censorship in schools of general, not, not even just like leaving things out or like no child left behind, but like also to an extent, like the sort of like whitewashing of it, they are taking away all these bad events that has happened and they are just, nah, nah. And, right. and even like, even when the, uh, like faced with like, Hey, these bad things still might be happening and it's still an issue that we need to be aware of. They are teaching the fundamentals, the absolute necessaries for like the common core of the wizarding world and not teaching them anything practical about what to do. And I think that, that is extremely telling. I feel like it is not very like veiled. Right. It is an attack on that. And like we said earlier, um, the fact that they are on a break of the war at the end of this book, they know they are in fact in war with mm-hmm. Voldemort. Yes. Um, they, everybody is aware of the fact that war is brewing, mm-hmm. whether you believe he was back or not. There is the sense that things are getting ready to go wrong. And the fact that Dolores Umbridge is the, the DADA professor they have now mm-hmm. is just in the time where they should be having that conversation, those those um, attempts at safety, mm-hmm. they're not. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's the biggest thing mm-hmm. with Umbridge. Of- yeah, like the this, mystery in general. Yeah, <laughs> this is an Umbridge hate account. Um, if for some uh, <laughs> godforsaken reason you are an Umbridge stan, l- like don't let see, the door hit you. I'd like to see one person <laughs> one who um- they are. Um, but yeah, and like even the ministry, it's it's weird that they're like, uh, they're like there could like they, I know that they their whole thing is like they don't want to admit that uh, Voldemort's back, but like. Right their way of dealing with that is not like let's talk about just in case it is let's send a spy right like it's well it's it just further proves that cornelius fudge is just trying to save himself and preventing dumbledore from yes. taking over but that's a hot take so i think that'll that'll wrap up this, yeah, that's, that's... <laughs> this week's episode um thank you guys so much for listening yep see you guys next time catch you later You have been listening to The Classroom, a U92 production. Feel free to tune in to our parent station, 91.7 FM of Morgantown, West Virginia. There will be a new episode of The Classroom live on U92 every Friday at 11 a.m. If you are out of our terrestrial reach, feel free to go ahead and stream U92 at U92TheMoose.com. Easy enough, right? On our homepage, not only would you be able to stream new alternative music, but you would also be able to quickly find our podcast and many other great podcasts produced by some of our friends. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll catch you soon.